0: hey thanks for listening to the create unknown to unlock the extended bonus conversation sign up at patreon.com slash the create unknown now on with the show
1: Welcome to the Create Unknown. I am Kevin Lieber. With me, as always, is Matthew Tabor, who is in Las Vegas right now, joining us remotely and also joining us remotely from the Pat the NES Punk Castle on the West Coast is Pat Contry, (laughs) the author of the brand new Ultimate Nintendo Guide to the SNES Library, 1991 to 1998. Here is my copy of your latest 900-pound tone of video <laughs> game knowledge <laughs> welcome pat
2: uh thanks for the thanks for the quick cheap plug kevin and it's castle country if you listen to the podcast it's, it's uh, i've been here for two years now at this house in san diego a lovely place and uh thanks for having me on thanks for the thanks for the the 24-hour warning to do this podcast but i love i love you kevin we go back about wow, six seven years at least at this point even though we don't talk often we i have a feeling we ever we are of like mind in some ways and Matt, I've spoken to you once, so I'm not sure we are of like mind yet. That's probably a good thing for you, because I don't think you want to <laughs> be like me. I don't want
0: to I don't so. want to be like either of you. And it's, yeah, it's probably it's, a good. There's thing. enough discomfort having to be around Kevin this much when you know, clearly not a role model, not anybody <laughs> I would aspire to be. So yeah, I hope we get along better because I can't handle two of those situations at once.
2: <laughs> Did you know Kevin before or after the Jerry Bloop videos? Before
0: yeah, I, I knew and you him stick there, and you well stuck before. around.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I still have uh,
0: I still have the Julius Bloop uh, t shirt, which which I wear periodically. Um, okay. Yeah, I love the Jerry Bloop videos. I mean, that was oh god, it was so funny. It was just so funny, like not I, not funny
1: out. enough, not funny enough to to give me a <laughs> career though. Well, so <laughs> Jerry
0: Bloop well, had to die.
2: Well, well you have a career, about it? yeah, and and I think that's a good thing to to. to to talk about is that wherever you start off on YouTube doesn't necessarily mean where you end up in terms of content creation. And you carry the skills with you. You marketed yourself. You created a brand, even though it was a, it was a cult-like brand. I loved it. I had it, you know, I, I posted it on my site, you know. And so I, I don't think that's a bad thing, uh, you know, because not all creations are for everyone. And sometimes it doesn't reach the audience it was supposed to. Who knows if that was on, if that was on, for example, Adult Swim, that could have blown up. If, if it was if there was an audience it yeah. could have blown up showing that at one in the morning and i'm not and saying we've that talked to that about smoke. that yeah we've talked about that before
0: how uh i i sincerely do not believe or that uh jerry bloop stuff was uh didn't have an audience or was bad or not funny or whatever no absolutely not i think it was like seven years too soon and i think that if jerry bloop had dropped in 2017 or 2018 or even right now, I, I think it, like people are all
2: over it. Well, yeah, it's, part- it's very, very uh, it's, it, you can, you can memorize it if that's a word probably fairly easily. Yeah.
1: I think the, I think the problem and now, now all of a sudden we're just like getting into Jerry Bloop, but the, I think the problem with Jerry Bloop was that since it was a character that didn't play as well as the actual person being silly. So mm. my my, you know, contemporaries at that time, one of which was Jontron, and Jontron was not a character. He was just Jontron,
2: a persona. F- yeah, yeah,
1: it was like a persona of John. It wasn't like John was playing some character named Jerry Tron. and 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 john is is funnier than than i was obviously he's gone on i disagree with that but okay okay well he's more successful at comedy than i than i ever was and i feel like you know the the people who are funny today in kind of like the video game world like nakey jakey for instance again he's just nakey jakey he's not you know, like on YouTube, Miranda is like the only one I can really think of who played yeah. like a weird character. Like that's not Colleen. She's Miranda. And that really worked yeah. for her.
2: But it ha- that yeah. that hasn't really worked, I don't think, very well for a lot of YouTubers. It's still working for James Rolfe. But then again, you can make the argument he's an institution. So he was like one of the first, if not the first, to really create that sort of character that became the brand. And it's 13 years on on YouTube where they're still going strong. They still get over over well over a million views, each one that comes out like once a month. So I guess your, mile, your mileage varies. Um, I see what you're saying, though. The audience connection with, I guess, a persona, which is closer to the real person it's longer lasting and there's more room for growth, I guess, with an audience versus playing a straight character. I could, I might liken it to a, like maybe portraying a wrestling character uh, when you do a persona because it's still you, but you're kind of altering your personality a bit, but you're not really playing a full on character in most modern wrestling sense. If that makes sense, if you follow wrestling, like more and more people in wrestling use their own names or use a variation of a name, and it's really their personality, and those are the ones that kind of shine more, I guess you can say. And I guess that's what you're trying, trying to get at, um, and, I, and I can't really elucidate that well, is that um, people feel more of a connection if they think it's a real person talking back to them versus a character. And maybe YouTube is not the environment where that would flourish versus, like I said, like at a cable network or on mm-hmm. Netflix or a streaming service, like even like Amazon, where if you put on a character like Jerry Bloop or Pat the NES Punk, maybe there's a shot at that. Since that's what you expect. You expect to see characters and stories play out. Maybe. I don't know. Too late for what me. I'm the hearing,
0: <laughs> what I'm hearing is that we're going to get a Jerry
2: Bloop reboot in, in 2020. That's all I'm hearing in this. <laughs> well, let's, let's put it this way. I, I, I guarantee you there's there's a hardcore fan base out there that say you did like a Patreon and said, I want to create six episodes of 20 minutes <laughs> yeah. each and put out the money. You might hit it. You don't know. Um, because the, the YouTube audience has definitely changed since we started out the past 10, 11 years. People have left YouTube. People have matured and got older, and the type of uh, material that would, would have flown as popular 10 years ago is not popular now. If you want to talk about algorithms, you want to talk about you know what gets promoted, I think it's more about people age and move on. Uh, whether it's uh, radio shows or TV shows, sometimes tastes change and you get older. And maybe the YouTube audience 10 years ago was older in general because it was brand new and, and maybe now it's younger. It probably is. It's probably you know, pre-teens and teens that dominate YouTube. And then with 10 years ago, maybe you're looking at Netflix or Amazon Prime or Hulu more now for your entertainment needs. Who knows? I'm not, I'm not making an excuse for that's why some content sort of falters or sort of falls out of favor, but there's probably something to that. I definitely
1: think so. And I, I think that I would love to go back sort of to the beginning of when I was doing Jerry Bloop and, you know, you were nice enough to at, to ask to, to put it on your website, The Punk Effect, at the time. And I'm glad that you mentioned James Rolfe because the Angry Video Game Nerd was such a big deal when that first came out that yeah, that was yeah. genuinely one of the main reasons that I started doing YouTube because I saw what James was doing making his own show and making his own character and and doing skits and having special effects and and all like baking it under this persona of reviewing these terrible Nintendo games how how much uh, and, and there were just not that many people doing anything like that at the time. Uh, what was your experience, you know, seeing James's videos and how did that influence, uh,
2: you know, Pat, the NES punk? Well, James and I come from not eerily similar backgrounds, but semi similar backgrounds. That's probably why we get along well. Um, we're both from New Jersey. Uh, He's from Southern Jersey. I was from Central Jersey. And then I had uh, somewhat of a smaller film background than he did uh, before YouTube. I'd done a couple of short films. I did a feature-length film in college. So I had sort of an itch to create films. I'd written a couple screenplays. One of the reasons I moved out to the West Coast was was to be a screenplay writer, actually. And it's still somewhat of a dream of mine because I still feel that out of everything, writing's my strongest point when it comes to video production. Not, not editing, for sure. I can't say that editing. In direction, I'm okay at. But I think writing's my strongest suit. It's what I'm the most natural at. Um, so when I saw James's videos, I was like, okay, here's a guy doing something that I've kind of done, cr- created films. He's into uh, video games, apparently retro games, game collecting, which was not a big thing in 2006. It was just starting to become a thing at that point very slowly. And YouTube helped along with the virtual console on Wii. So I said to myself, and I've been uh, collecting games since the late 90s at that point. I said, why don't I combine the two? I, I said, not that I could do what he was doing, but I can put my own spin on it and do my own series to sort of stand alongside it. Um, and I think that's what I hopefully successfully did. One of my inspirations was the fact that at least I knew about the video games a lot more than a lot of the trash that was on YouTube at the time, which was literally people, because because there was a heavy entry level. Uh, to YouTube uh, early on in terms of uh, knowing uh how, not just how to edit but also the, the uh, what you need to record for a quality yeah. video, so back then, like people were used to using like their Gateway two thousand mics, you know those long stick mics and they were, and they right. were just editing in windows movie maker and and the quality was absolutely terrible and they, and they were just doing a straight screen capture you know on the emulators and things like that, or capturing while they were you know, recording it all at the same time with little editing. so I remember watching a three Stooges video a review of the NES game, and it's, pro- and it's probably still on YouTube. You can search on YouTube by, like, the order of, of videos uploaded, and it's probably from, like, 2006 or seven. And a person just trying to play Three Stooges, you can hear people in the background, it's probably a gateway mic, and he just knows nothing about Three Stooges and nothing about the game and ragging on it. What is this? Why is this? It's not knowing that the Three Stooges were a famous trio that did short films, you know, set now 70, 80 years ago. He didn't and even was, know who the Three Stooges were? Not really. So it's like <laughs> would be it would really confusing if
0: you had no background knowledge. Like why are I remember the uh, the mini games, you know, like the uh, the oyster crackers with the big spoon. Sure. Right. Yeah. And it, like if you don't get the reference on that, it's a really strange mini game to throw. <laughs> in. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that's so, weird.
2: So I said to myself, I, I could do the same sort of video, produce it better put in some jokes, but more importantly, have some knowledge of the Three Stooges and how it incorporates itself with the game because I owned that game as a kid. So at the very least, I said to myself, I could do at least as well as this crappy Three Stooges video. I said it to myself. And then that's where it sort of came from. Then obviously... You know, lighting's bad in the beginning, the writing's not as sharp, establishing the character or persona. You can make an argument that Pat the NES Punk is either more a persona or a character. I don't know. I named him the same just because I didn't want people calling me, you know, the nerd in public as I'd seen happen with James still to this day, and it's awkward. So I said I want to be called Pat at the very least. No one calls me, you know, NES Punk. People call me Pat for the most part. So, you know, it kind of kind of works out. So that's how I sort of started. And what and saw the, the journey happen with you know people not knowing my videos existed then they then they imagine that they exist, and I promote it, and then you get on game trailers and then you know it hits its zenith point with content like that was probably like four or five years ago that the videos did their best, and then you know a couple of years ago uh they sort of hit a downward slide, and we can get into why that happens but you know, that's, I, don't, I don't like dwelling on the trends. I don't like complaining about, Well, oh, people don't watch my videos as much as they used to. I acknowledge it and I sort of move on and try to create new things. And that's the advice I give to other YouTubers. I don't, you know, I, I've interviewed YouTubers that bemoan YouTube and like, oh, what, what can you do about it? Just try to, the the audience might exist somewhere else. If not, create content for the audience on YouTube. I I I prefer to create multiple types of content that can find themselves in different avenues because I think that's what you should do as a as a uh, as a, uh, an entrepreneur and a content creator is to diversify and create different things, whether it's a book or a podcast or a series on Amazon Prime, you know things things like that.
1: Yeah, the fickleness of i'm I'm glad that you talked about how sometimes a show was really popular and now it's not anymore. I mean I've certainly <laughs> uh have faced that on vsauce too, you know uh several times, and I had been thinking about that somewhat recently in regards to a show called Felicity that starred Carrie Russell what? From like, okay, 18, 19 years ago. Felicity. So the last
0: time I thought of Felicity is when uh, I I went, I went home with, uh, with Maura, uh, my girlfriend the very first time. And we, we had to sleep in her sister's bedroom. This was for Mm -hmm. Thanksgiving, like two years ago. And I'm laying on the bed and I look up and there's this big Felicity poster on the wall. (laughs) And, And I'm like, well, you know, clearly this bedroom has been the same since like 1998 or something. Um but yeah, that was the first time I'd thought of Felicity in almost twenty years. And now it's the first time I've thought of Felicity since then. It
1: okay. doesn't come
0: up a lot, Kevin. So no. explain yourself.
1: This is this is why it's coming up now though. Because for those who don't <laughs> know, which is pretty much everybody who isn't a it's boomer yeah. listening to this, Felicity was a show starring Carrie Russell that was very, very popular. And she had really long Curly, thick hair. Mm -hmm. Sure. It was on the WB, wasn't it? I believe it was on the WB. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it's important to know that she had really long, thick, curly hair. She was the main character of the show. She was Felicity. Well, one day, for some reason, she cut her hair to be an extremely short. And it ruined the show. People stopped (laughs) watching the show because she cut her hair. This is true. This literally happened. The main character cut off her hair and people stopped watching the show. So I think this is a great example of, you know, say what you will about trends and YouTube algorithms and what audiences want and what they don't want. But you could literally have your show tank because of a haircut, let alone you know, people feel like your your show's gotten stale over the course of two hundred episodes of something. Like that's how quickly on a dime people's interest can change when it comes to entertainment.
2: And that was on for a little that was on for four seasons only. Oh, Amy Jo Johnson from the The Pink Ranger was on that show as the friend. Okay, now I kinda remember that. All right. Wait, are you wiki are you Wikipediaing it? Does it mention I, the haircut? <laughs> it mentions it, but it says that it might have been conflated. There was a time slot change that didn't help that occurred right before the haircut as well. But obviously, <laughs> the haircut didn't help. <laughs> and they said that was referenced uh, within other television shows as well, like 30 Rock. So and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So it sounds like that was now that was bad. Yeah. She had that luxurious long like you want to say like Disney princess hair she had. Yeah. I remember that. Were you a fan at the
0: time, Kevin? Did you tune in one night and see like a pixie cut and just everything you shut changed it off?
2: for you? How dare you, carry Russell? Not, not me, <laughs> you t- but... You tore down on the poster y- above your bed. Nah. <laughs> I did.
1: It's over, Felicity. You're done for.
0: Well, we uh, a couple of weeks ago, I did uh, this workshop for uh, YouTubers in Australia who were just starting to think about uh, format and programming and all the things that, that really have to develop with consistency. And one of the things we didn't quite get to that after, you know, you build up like, hey, everything's going to be great if you focus on these parts and take your knowledge of your audience and like work it in this way. The reality is that you also need to be able to murder this amazing thing at some point too. Like if it's totally viable that uh, something that was very, very good in the past just wanes to a point where you have to kill it. And knowing uh, how to do that, when to do that and being comfortable doing it
2: Uh, Yeah it's like anything else It's it's rare for any TV show to last Even to a Felicity four seasons Most most shows are gone within two three years And then it's extremely rare That something lasts over ten years Like I I thought about Cheers the other day Cheers is on for about Mm eleven years right Mm -hmm. I've been doing the NES Punk stuff On and off but I've done like 60 episodes In eleven years I've been on YouTube And why is it that Actors and writers and directors Are allowed to move on from something like a TV series But uh, you have to keep the momentum of doing it as as a as a, uh, almost an all-tour con- online content creator why you must you be locked into that one thing and i feel it's because youtube's not obviously tv it's not any other type of of platform where uh the viewers feel they have such a more intimate connection with that sort of one person usually like that's usually creating and editing and uploading the videos and that could be fine for that audience but it could be to the detriment of the of, of the content creator over time. I mean, I, I know a content creator that's been on the grind for over ten years doing something, or I mean, not ten years, like eight years, has a lot more subscribers than me, and, 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 and is looking for an exit strategy off of off of YouTube entirely because you get locked in, and then if you change, your audience is fickle and it's gone. Yeah. The same thing with right. Twitch. Uh, people that stream on Twitch have to uh, uh, stream the popular game at the time. If they try their own game out, they can lose they can lose their paid subscribers. It's happened yeah. to someone I know, where it's like. Um, oh, I tried this game out for a few days, and I lost like half their paid subscribers for the month, and that's a direct loss of revenue. And wow. it's a—I uh, mean, it's the like uh, what is it? Uh, Rossie from Godfather Two. This is this is the career we chose for ourselves. We chose to do this, but there are sort of pitfalls of being in in the grind. Um, and the one thing I want to say though is that I'm not sure if it, how much the audience cares that we're even having these conversations because to them we just churn out content and to them it's like well you're in a gifted position that you can create content and have people uh, watch it or, or, or view it or listen to it if it's a podcast uh, so I get that too because I, I have had conversations with, with people where they leave comments where it's like yeah I like you talking to the YouTubers but the first 20 minutes is them bitching and moaning about YouTube and it's like I don't care about that and I totally get that mm-hmm. too it's like why would you care if an actor complains that you know okay. they don't have a, a big enough trailer while they're filming Avengers you know that's, that's <laughs> like beyond first world problems at that point so I understand that too I totally get that it's not it's not the audience's job to care about our complaints in my opinion it's our our job is to to entertain I
1: think that's fair, and I think that you know you have over the years done done many things to adapt your content, whether it is going from doing pet the n e s punk and flea market madness to just doing the podcast really full time now and and commenting on gaming news and What's going on with that? I mean, what's your schedule like? Because, you know, Matt and I, we do this podcast once a week. Uh, but uh, how often are you recording for your podcast, considering? I mean you need to
2: to give your opinions on breaking news more or less right we we'll only do it once a week and that's actually hurt the channel cause I, and we used to do it only twice uh twice a month or once every other week up until only January we started doing it once a week and so I gave up my secondary not so common podcast that you were on Kevin uh, mm-hmm. at one point so I was doing one i was I've always been doing one podcast basically a week now for the past two and a half three years I've been doing that and and no but YouTube is all about um not necessarily personalities anymore it's about trending topics. So mm-hmm. I, if, me, if yeah. Ian was tethered to me and as soon as news broke, we recorded our you know sort of uh, on-the-fly hot takes that might not be founded in anything just to get it out within the first hour, the channel would have blew up. I guarantee you. Because uh, Ian and I work well together. We have great chemistry, but we are behind the ball on a lot of news, and that hurts on YouTube. For a podcast, it doesn't matter because pe- people realize a podcast is once a week. But mm-hmm. for the YouTube world, it, it makes us look weak. So there's other people that do this for years and do news about uh, about, uh, you know, trending uh, tech and video game stuff, and they get it out right away. They're not they're not more talented than Ian and I. I can guarantee you they're not more knowledgeable. They're not better at this, but they do it first. It's like it's like a regular news network. It doesn't matter if you're the best. You got to be first. You don't have to be accurate. You have to be first. Yeah, that's something,
0: Kevin. That that you had to go through, where it seemed like on Mind Blow. That was a show that people really liked, and you know we say this a lot, but every single video that comes out, uh, yeah, probably, uh, uh, every video that comes out, without fail, you get dozens of comments that's like, "Hey, when's Mind Blow coming back?" So like, clearly, this was a good, uh, good format. It, everything was good about it, um, but it hit that point where there was probably a bit of saturation at that time with more people doing that kind of thing, but also people turning it around much faster. They, they just had a setup that allowed for them to hit something. Uh, and I remember, uh, so the Boston dynamics dog style robot, um, that came out like two years ago, you know, the one that could really like mimic a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, Came out about two years ago. That was one of the last episodes of Mindblow. And I remember us talking about that. And it's like, hey, this is an amazing thing, whatever. And you you look and there are like nine people with definitive videos that uh, were already up there, uh, in part because of uh, the time change. I mean, uh, there were people who were making that video in the UK when we were sleeping. And they had it uploaded. Uh, by the time we were awake, so that urgency and timeliness uh, is is a really difficult, fickle thing, and it can cripple even successful programming.
2: Yeah. So, what does that tell you? Is it a problem with the content creator or the platform? And sometimes it could be with the content creator, but I would argue that if that's the if that's sort of the environment you're you're in, you're set up to fail because then you're you're at the whim of an algorithm. And of you know of, of speed and expediency versus putting out quality content, and that's what okay. YouTube's become more and more over the years. Definitely the past two to three years, it's that's what it's changed into. With with it's uh you know there was an article about the rise of the angry gamer about you know everyone railing on you know you, you basically get into this. Uh, algorithm maelstrom of like oh i see one person i always bring up the last jedi because there's tons of videos that are insane like four hour videos you know why the last jedi last jedi is objectively uh, objectively bad you know things like that you watch one you get recommended for 10 others so you can spend literally four or five hours every day yeah. on one topic because that's what youtube's feeding you that that's how they know you're engaged in, in the system that's not good mm-hmm. content but that's what that's what that's what you're engaged with uh well it's good content i guess for that person that wants to you know have have their have their um have their views uh and criticisms uh validated via random people on the internet i guess it's okay for them but that's not good for someone like me or you who might be better off having you know maybe we write episodes of of, of edutainment up front or or skits and then we roll it out at our own le- leisure like what I, i'm doing right now I, you want to talk about what my average day is going back to that today is a great example i get up I see that I can finally put my new uh, book on Amazon. Uh, on Amazon, because the ISBN was getting rejected, it goes up on Amazon. I answer ten emails about where's my book. I send people their their uh, their shipping information. Uh, I get I get a I get a text from someone else or a tweet saying you should go on someone's podcast. They email me. I get in touch with Kevin. Yeah, you know, we got to record a podcast. Okay, I'll record a podcast. I go to the gym for a couple of hours. I mail out. Uh, I just sold three DVDs. I'm on the way home from the gym, I, I mail those out. I see my my mail from the government, hope from, from the state, not suing me or what have you, because I own an LLC. Uh, I come back and realize, oh boy, I better get back to editing before doing after, before doing this. I have to go back and ed, edit a big video, Pat a Pat the Punk video is going to come out within a week. I, I got to finish editing that. I'm probably missing that stuff. I got to test out my app. A new version of my app is coming out. I still have to test that from yesterday. Um, I'm probably missing like two or three things, but that's my typical day. It's you're a one man <laughs> band. And yeah. I, a lot of people can't handle that. I, I, I got to think about okay, um, ha, I got to market the book because the book is still fairly new. I have to, uh, you know, send out to more influencers or people and do things like that because the book is a big chunk of my income at this point. It's not YouTube, it's not the podcast. It's all several different income sources. So, you know, that's I guess my quote unquote typical day. I got to talk to Ian about what we're going to talk about in the podcast next week. We still get, we get our topics together starting you know five days before the next podcast.
1: Mm-hmm. So. And I I really want to to get your process on the book, how that came about, what you went through with that. But first, I really want to ask you about dealing with controversy with the podcast, because you have run into some controversial moments where people are attacking you because of your hard lines on things. And as a middle child, I don't really take a lot of hard lines on things. I'm always kind of like, well, (laughs) I see this side and I also see this side. I'm like a natural kind of peacemaker in that regard. But you've taken some hard stances and Ian have taken some hard stances that have gotten you kind of into hot water. And I'd love to know your thoughts on that. And because I'm not the type of person to dig my heels in on something. Okay. And I'd love to know your perspective on that.
2: Like, well, why would why would you listen? Oh, this this isn't against you or anyone else, but my argument is for my audience. Why would they listen to me unless I was strongly opinionated? Why would you listen to me, and Ian? Like, why would you come to our podcast? This is what we've been doing for six years. Yeah, it's we've, like a, a always, bit like a
0: talk radio thing. Where why would you listen to like political talk radio if somebody wasn't making hard this stands is, yeah, and this like isn't a
2: them. this isn't a news podcast. This isn't a newscast, this is a podcast with opinions. What, the very first podcast we did in, in in July 2013 was talking about Affleck being cast as Batman. like, And Ian didn't go off on that like he would later, but he got into it and within six months, talking about how awful Mike, the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles looked and, and saying and, and cursing about it. And Ian's toned down a little bit, so have I, but we we are always opinionated. And if we weren't opinionated, the podcast would have failed. as And so you. when you say getting into hot water, I would ask you, what do you mean by that? Because people attack us on social media and they do their little YouTube videos because they want to appease their little you know, incel audience. Like that's, that's really hot water. That doesn't affect me at all. No one has come up to me in person at any convention since you want to talk about the Diablo Immortal thing. That was a little over a year ago. I've gone to six conventions since that's happened. Not one person has come up and said, Pat, I had a real problem with that. Those aren't real people that are online leaving those harsh comments or telling me and Ian that we, we are, um, what, what, what's the thing they say? We, we are, I forget the some of the things, they're ca- calling us cucks or what have you or whatever, whatever slang that, that they think is cool for the moment. And that doesn't, to me, the online world like that in social media, that's not real life. And I said that to Colin Moriarty. When I had him on my podcast, because he did that joke, uh, you know, a day without a woman and everyone went after him. I said, how is that really affecting you? I think you're like letting it. And he said, no, that's reductionist. Uh, this is going to affect my livelihood. And I'm like, I don't think so. It hasn't really affected anything. If you want to say you get you get some heat on you, you lose some subscribers. I would say uh, those subscribers didn't belong anyway because they should have expected us to, to have opinions like that because it was not out of our norm have opinions like that that was not the first time we gave opinions that people didn't like like we've talked about uh, uh what's, what's the one thing that people came after us for that was big before that i whenever we talk about something even tangentially related to anime and it being weird like you know the you know a giant bouncing boobs and dead or alive we get people come after us and get downvoted so it's happened from time to time uh so it, like why should it bother me like I, the YouTube audience is is so weird and the people that are constantly leaving comments like I said those aren't those aren't my that's not the people that listen to me and Ian or watch my videos I don't think so the people that watch my videos and the people that I respect are the ones that I see at conventions uh, like well-rounded people that don't have the time to just be online and post memes uh, angrily at you that's not to me a real thing overall Maybe you disagree. I don't know. I just, it doesn't affect me. Like as soon as someone on the street says something like, Pat, I got a problem with what you said, then I'll take it seriously, you know, but, but until then it's like, eh, really? It- so how do you balance that with somebody who uh,
0: looks at it on the surface and, uh, and and processes what you just said and, and how you've responded in the past as uh, this, this guy has contempt for a portion of his audience? Yeah, he loves... Uh, the the real audience like you just described, but uh, if somebody if somebody processes it that way, how do you respond to that? How well, would think, you respond well, to it?
2: Well, I think it's it's a it's um, a mischaracterization to say that oh you you hate a certain portion of your audience because I have different opinion about it. Like I don't understand that. I, I disagree with Ian all the time on the podcast about things. We've gotten to arguments on the podcast. I still love Ian. I still respect Ian. I don't hate Ian because of that. And, and I, I have big political differences with my friends. I still respect them. I still love them. So if, so if people have a problem with something I say, you know, that's – I think that I hate them because I have a different opinion. That's not on – I think at that point that's not on me anymore because if we had a conversation in person, they would not say the things they'd say to me online. I can guarantee you that. Either because either they didn't have the force or will to do that or they realize in person that it's so silly. I'm a very affable person I think overall.
1: <laughs> I agree, yeah. but why? So why do you think it is that way that 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 some people will? Because like you Cause said, because YouTube, you have is,
2: a d- YouTube uh, festers uh, a toxic environment. YouTube does not is not conducive to nuanced thought and, and nuanced opinion. It's not. Social media is not. Facebook is not. Twitter is not. It's all quick. Uh, take things out of context. No room for nuance. Go. Because that's what, what would how be a better do, format. Not Where YouTube. You think, well, uh, sure. From, but
0: I mean, what would what would offer uh, an opportunity to explore nuance in a way that
2: would well, make the this stuff happen less? Let me let me t- let me tell you how I knew a lot of the outrage was bullshit that happened because we lost almost no patrons at the time. We, we did not see it really a real dip in the, ne- the people listening to the podcast. The podcast uh, subscriber numbers listens stayed about the same at the time. They understood the podcast audience is different than the YouTube audience. And so they understood what we were saying. And even if we weren't, If even if, if they thought we were we were over the line, they were listening to us for the past five, six years. They know that Ian and I go off the handle at times. From, so why is this the one thing that it should be uh, the one that dooms our career, as some YouTubers say? Because that's their audience. They they don't want us to have a countering point that might be, even though we were, might get a little, little fiery about it, the more mature, you know, argument saying that it's not the end of the world that a mobile game is being developed, it's not. Life goes on. It's not the end of the world that the new Pokemon game doesn't have every single Pokemon that ever existed in it, and and that's fine for a uh, for Twitter or on a podcast, but for YouTube, those opinions are dangerous opinions to to the 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 angry you know gaming YouTubers because their audience is more reactionary, and that's not that that doesn't. Uh, that doesn't jive with what they're used to hearing. They're used to hearing everything's angry and everything's wrong, and my life is now in danger because of it. Do you think that this is unique to uh,
1: like a subculture of gaming, or that this sort of pocket exists no matter what sort of you know group um, you're talking about? I
2: think there's always there's always pockets of of sort of um, I don't want to say just angry disenfranchised people that. Because uh, Ian's been a part of it in the past, I, I, I won't get into it. But there used to be, you know, angry. Every forum has the angry forum posters, you know, and, and forums have been around forever. I don't think it's unique to YouTube, but there's always going to be. It's it's like the Yelp thing, right? Who's the most likely to leave uh, uh, reviews? Uh, people that either had a really good review or people that had a horrible review. Ninety-five percent of people that had ah pretty good or it was all right, they're not going to leave a review because they're not angry enough or emotional enough to do so. Because they are well balanced people that get on with their lives. If I have a family and a good job and I'm trying to, you know, care about other people in my life, why I, I who has time or the the motivation to go online and be angry and, and like have alt accounts and troll accounts to go at people on YouTube that I disagree with? Like what are the have you met someone in your are you friends with any person like that? Like, do you, I don't think so. Do you personally I know? I can't
0: imagine that. No. Oh,
2: I, I know a bunch. You do? <laughs> okay.
0: Uh, probably five or six now. Um. So tell me about them. Yeah. So tell me about
2: them, without getting specific about them. Uh, uh like what? Well, what I mean, like, what? are they are they happy with themselves? Do they see it as a fun time? Is it yeah. like a recreation to them? Uh overwhelmingly, um, it's people separating
0: uh Separating, talking about a certain thing from whatever their public life is, you know, and not wanting to cross streams, basically. And so, you know, they're not it's not like a special hobby, um, but they want to be able to be honest without any blowback, like with their friends and family and job and stuff like that. I mean, it's not.
2: So they'd say so they know they should be embarrassed by their behavior then outright because they're hiding. Absolutely not. No. If they realize no, 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 that no. my fa- my family and friends might look down upon this behavior, they don't think they're they're somewhat ashamed of it. No. If you're not no. a, if you're not ashamed, why would you hide? If it's in the
0: context like uh, people I know do it on political stuff on both sides too, um, which I'm trying to come up with a unifying factor here in not because it's a split. Uh, but they don't want to like have political fights with you know, their friends and family and stuff. And so there's nothing wrong with what they're saying. They're not saying inappropriate stuff. They're just segmenting it
2: out. Okay, so so you're you're parsing out political discussion versus I'm talking about trolling. I'm talking about people that like have troll accounts just to go after people. That that to me is is the step beyond what you're saying, well I want to have a political discussion about I'm a conservative, I'm afraid my parents are liberal Gosh. or vice versa. So I don't want to upset people. Does that make sense? Versus just posting like memes because I disagree with someone being a conservative or someone being a liberal and just going on a meme hunt. <laughs> I think oh, oh. I, you yeah, lost me. You froze. I,
0: I had a blip. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought, you, thing... I thought you were
2: deep in thought at first, but I don't know if you heard
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> Not that deep. No, no, no I, I uh, you froze out on me or I froze out on you when you were saying parsing. Parsing was the oh, last word out, I heard.
2: What you said, like maybe hiding your political affiliation versus yeah. outright trolling and, and fucking with people. There's a difference.
0: Uh, Right right um yeah i mean i do know a guy who who has uh, a, a really great account where he does just kind of stir things up to be funny because he just plain likes it like <laughs> it's nothing exactly. wildly inappropriate it wouldn't like it really upset anybody but it's garbage you know trash posting on twitter <laughs>
2: okay yeah yeah and that and, that, and that's um, a hobby so okay that's his recreation yeah
0: yeah. Okay. Uh, but do you think that uh, do you think that these these people are ever ever right? Is it possible that they ever have a point?
2: They could, but even if they're even if they're they're right in spirit, their their um their aggression makes it not worth listening to. I mean, that's just the bottom line. Because people can say like, I disagree with what you have to say, and I can respect th- I can respect that opinion. But the moment you you call me or anyone you call someone a cuck, why should I listen to you anymore? like why cuz you're not coming from a place of, of constructive criticism you're coming from a place of just attacking someone and trying to trying to make them feel worse about themselves for having an opinion that you don't personally like there's a there's a difference like don't I I, I always go by the rule don't ever say something you wouldn't say to someone in person online that's that's mm-hmm. just the bottom line
1: it does seem impossible to deal with trying to have what you just dis- described as kind of like a nuanced conversation that I do agree that podcasts allow for. I mean, that's the whole point of what we're doing right now. Well, between, between us,
0: you know, the audience uh, can't do really anything. That's,
1: that's exactly the point I was going to make is that like, we can do that right now between the three of us, but it is completely impossible in, in all regards to do this with every single random person. You don't know who tweets at you and yeah. even to start a conversation, for instance, on Twitter with somebody, like I've tried to have like a nuanced discussion a- about <laughs> about something that's not even controversial at all. Sure. Mm-hmm. Like I tried to have a conversation one time with somebody who was going after me for something that I said about fashion. Uh, Of all things, (laughs) about like the fashion industry. And I started- Bell
2: bottoms are not coming back, (laughs)
0: Kevin. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, When I think of fashion critiques, I think of uh, Of all the V-sauces. Kevin Lieber, yeah. yeah. Primarily Kevin Lieber, V-sauce too, yes. (laughs) But
1: after like the eighth back and forth with this guy, I was like, man, this is just drilling a hole straight into my day that I don't (laughs) need and it's not helping
2: anybody. Well, you also know the motivation of that person be, because you can have people following you like me. I have people that follow me that every once in a while I recognize them because they'll take sh- little pot shots at me mm-hmm. and they're trying to do it to get their own little cloud of like, oh, wow, well, I got Pat's attention or or, or maybe I secretly don't, don't like Pat. This happens to me like almost every month or so. I don't block the person necessarily because maybe they're getting out some anger, but it's directed at me. So you can quickly figure out whether or not they want to have a real conversation because when you try to be constructive or offer them assist in mm-hmm. some way, they don't respond or they don't get back to you. So at that point, I'm like, well, then it is what it is. So I, I think going back to social media being bullshit, um, you have to think of it as it could be constructive, but mostly it's it's uh, fleeting just because the more you think about it, the more it just wears you down. And it is a time sink. There's people that are addicted, obviously, to Instagram. Yeah. Um, people uh, probably more so than anything else. Instagram is made to be addictive because it's constantly photos. You don't only have to read. It's just photos you're seeing. And so it's meant to be addictive.
0: Um, TikTok uh, is a nice balance too, where it plays on that quick photo thing, but with such short form video. Like I've been, I talked to uh, some people the other day who were on the younger side and all of them were like, yeah, I can't stop scrolling through TikTok. I can't uh, stop. Oh (laughs) yeah.
2: I I, I guess Snapchat's probably the same way because they're like quick, what is it 15 seconds or whatever? That's sort of, is that what TikTok is as well? That's sort of like they decided that's, the, the the sweet balance of getting your attention but being uh, long enough to do something worthwhile I guess because six seconds isn't what was it what was the one that WWE tried Lying. to do with like tout it was like oh, no yeah. they tried to do something called tout it was like combination of like shouting and tweeting it was like eight second videos or six second video. it lasted like six <laughs> months it, you know it was, so but we found the sweet spot or Instagram I guess is just well just photo delivering uh, you. And you, you go out there. Uh, this isn't. Uh, I'm gonna be yelling at clouds, old man. You go out and you see the younger generation constantly on their phone. They're just probably going through their Instagram feed. I know how we're getting off topic of people being angry at me on the internet, but this is what I'm gonna say about people being angry at me on the internet. Uh, if if I'm not if I'm not getting people emotionally invested one way or the other, I'm not doing my job. Um, I'm just not. I'm not effective at conveying information and getting people emotional, whether it's happy or sad or angry. I must be doing something, right? And and I sort of hang my hat on sort of the enemies that I've made in my career, uh are mostly, I would say, garbage people. I could say that. So I don't mind upsetting those people. I don't upset people that I respect or like. Like mm-hmm. once I once I upset Kevin for doing something, then okay, I'll have to look at that. <laughs> or upset James or upset, you know, uh, Norm Caruso or upset Pixel Dan or upset Ian like once I cross that line, okay, I must be do- if I'm if I'm yeah. If I'm making bad actors angry enough to do vid- uh, videos about me, I don't mind that because I'd rather be that counterbalance force to that in the in the universe, I guess. Right? I mean, sh- should I be a losing sleep over it? Would you?
1: I don't know. I, I don't think so. I certainly hope not. And I hope that, that you weren't because that's really kind of why I wanted to bring it up. I've never been embroiled in... Anything remotely like that? I mean, I make math videos, so well. I mean,
2: like when you say that's why I said about like embroiled. I don't understand what that means because if I don't look at Twitter that day, I don't know what's happening. I remember I called up a couple of friends on YouTube and they didn't know what was happening. They weren't tracking right. it, right? So it's yeah. it's not real. It's it's it isn't. I I mean I'm not trying to put down the people's emotions or not valid that some of them could be correct, but it, it's not real until it is. I, I mean, that's it's to me. It's it was glorified forum posts. Unless I'm engaging with it myself, you know what I mean. I've had people make videos about me six, seven, eight years saying I hate Pat. He's arrogant or what have you, and it's like, okay, yeah, i, I have that <laughs> have that opinion. I'm not going to change. Right. I'm doing something right. I don't know. I'm I have that brash Jersey attitude. Some people think it's endearing. Some people don't like it. But at least at least I'm honest and I will let you know where you stand. You know, at the end of the day, we'll we'll, we'll just have a drink about it and laugh.
1: (laughs) How has your brash Jersey attitude played out in San Diego? Because, you know, I lived on the West Coast for a little bit and I found it to be an awkward fit for me also coming, you know, from the East Coast where, yeah, you do tell somebody like it is because who has the time to beat around the bush? But on the West Coast, I felt like nobody is telling anybody how it is. And it's, um, it's all just kind of like glad-handing and, uh, and and like beating around the bush is like the name of the game out there. Uh, sort of the
2: passive-aggressive thing versus- Yeah, passive-aggressive. Aggressive, totally. I don't know. I always, I always see myself as a combination. This is going to be weird. I think of myself as a combination of, of West and East Coast because as much as you, if I could be brash and forward, um, there's people in Jersey that are make me look like I'm a child when it comes to this. You know, I, I'm I I think I'm I think I'm very empathetic a lot more so than you know a lot of people that I grew up with in the family that don't realize that help oh, pe- other people have feelings and maybe you should back off. So I guess I've adapted well enough. Um, I mean, with women I've done okay because some women actually like the fact that you're direct and say what you mean and don't have time to bullshit. Well, uh, women that I've spoken to, uh, some. They hate the fact that there's guys that don't know what they want or don't say what they want and are wishy-washy. And a lot of guys, you know, the West Coast attitude, it's more wishy-washy. I'm not saying I'm an alpha alpha male, but I, I think uh, I'm definitely more in that type A personality than the B where I'll just lay sort of step back and let things happen. Obviously, you know, I, I've sort of created my own business where I, I do things for myself. And so I'm probably not the best example to speak upon it, but I think some people deep down respect honesty. Because they're not used to seeing it um, or aren't used to it. So, I don't know. Maybe you had a bad experience, Kevin. I mean, I'm in San Diego. That's a more moderate area of California than, like, San Francisco. You know, it's a military town. We have a Republican mayor in San Diego. So, I don't know if it has anything to do with it or not. I don't know.
0: Uh, how do you think this has played out, uh, professionally, like, cause, cause it, when you're talking about not everybody always being honest or direct, uh, kind of in the LA scene last week, uh, I had, I had this meeting with uh, a woman in Australia and she, um, we had a really honest conversation. Uh, she's like, oh, this is, this is easier for me than most of the meetings I have with, People from L.A. and, you know, that that line that nobody in L.A. ever has a bad meeting. Uh, you know, it's always like this is amazing and we're going to work together no matter sure. how big a how pile awful of it. crap sure. that meeting just was. Um, that's that's super frustrating. So do you think it's been professionally useful to you to have that attitude going in? You yeah, guys you
2: guys must think I'm some sort of like personality monster or I maybe mean, am I am I really the outlier <laughs> when it comes to YouTube personality where I'm this direct? Um you're the only person that we've talked to I think so far on
1: the create unknown that's made the leap from east to west coast. I'm pretty okay. sure. I think so. I think, um, um well Justine yeah. came from the east coast and went to the, think, to the west coast.
2: But I don't yeah. work with people, like, out of L.A. Like, I mean, the people I work with, I'm friends with people that all across. My best friends I see three, t- four times a year at conventions. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, one of my best friends from from college is in Pennsylvania. So I do have local friends. Uh, here's the thing. I know my personality puts off people. I do know that. But the people that it's sort of like once you get to know me, you understand me, and then you, you go, oh, wow. Okay, he's not a – he's. it's always like, oh, wow, Pat's not as big as an asshole as I thought. And, I, and I've seen that online, especially in forums like Nintendo Age. Once you meet, it's like, okay, I see the charm there. I see I see what's going on there. For better or for worse. I, I mean, in terms of the creative process, I've rubbed YouTubers the wrong way. I, I guarantee you I have. But at the end of the day, and this goes towards uh, myself and to people that I have problems with or issues, I think a person is judged best by who surrounds them and who their friends are. You can best judge a person by that. I think that is sort of like the grade A way of saying, "Okay, what's this person like? Well, who, who who's he around? Who respects him? Who does he work with?" Yeah, I don't, th- I don't surround myself with bad people. I don't associate with bad people.
1: No, no, no. no I, don't- I, I, I definitely think that that's a great way of of that's a great litmus test. I guess I was just asking selfishly because because <laughs> I went from the East Coast to the West Coast and then I came back to the East Coast partly because <laughs> like I di- I didn't vibe all that well
2: with people on the West Coast. At least I really? at least in
1: LA, yeah. I've never spent any time in San Diego. Maybe
2: it's different. Did you d- was it the fact that you were a little bit too real for people in LA cuz I don't think you have an aggressive personality, Kevin? No, I'm not an aggressive person like at all,
1: but I get annoyed when I feel like people are wasting my time. Like I feel like gotcha. my time time is the most valuable resource uh, aside from health. Okay, so you got health is at the top you got, of the you got pyramid. Spleen, liver, time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spleen, liver, okay. and then time is right below health. And I don't like having my time wasted. And I felt like that happened a lot on the West Coast unnecessarily when somebody yeah. could have just said, "Hey." I actually am not going to do this. And the reason that I say that I am going to do this is because I'm like too passive aggressive to actually tell you that I'm not going to. And then now now my time is my time is wasted. And as an East Coaster, uh, that bothers me.
2: So you took meetings with like, oh, yeah, we're going to work. This to be great. And you're like, I know this is bullshit. I want to get out of here. This is garbage. I'd rather you just say that we're not going to see each other again or work together. Yeah,
1: or I thought or I was under the impression that something – yeah, we are going to work together because you told me we were and then you ghost me for the next six months and stop replying. It's like, all right, I can't handle – I can't work (laughs) this way. That
2: could be specifically Hollywood though, right? Or the L.A. – seen. Yeah, I think so, there's a
0: media com- a media like broader media yeah. component to that where it's quite a Piss- bit more common there.
2: Yeah, because you're not a, you're afraid of pissing off anyone. So you're always on right on eggshells even when you know it's bad. <laughs> yeah, we'll do lunch. You're not going to do lunch, right? You know, there's a there's a YouTuber. Um, yeah, I can tell the story. He won't care. Andre Meadows. Good. Uh, w- one of my best friends, I guess, in the content creation sphere. Andre Meadows, Black Nerd Comedy. When I first met him, um, it was at this like uh, video game meetup group. Um, outside of LA, SC3, Southern Cali- Southern California, whatever. This was like 2012 or so, 13 maybe. And he gave me one of those lines like, oh yeah, we should work together. And he meant it though at the time. But I, I was like, this guy doesn't mean this. So I had the wrong reaction to him. This is before mm-hmm. I was friends with him. And so I didn't get it. But just because I knew he was from LA, I was like, oh, he has that sort of like LA thing. Yeah, yeah, we should work together. I was like, Pfft. Yeah, he's just bullshitting me, <laughs> you know, so I can see how it is. And then, yeah, it, and it, it can be frustrating talking to people that live like he lives, I think, in the Valley. and People live in Burbank or L.A. It's frustrating if you're not of that mindset. I, I hear people like, oh, yeah, LA's not for me. I got to move. I got to get out of here. And it's not just for business wise. It's friend wise. It's hard to make yeah. lasting friendships because yes, that bleeds into mm-hmm. Um, well I don't I want to be friends with everyone, not piss everyone, but you're not really friends with the pe- people then. It's just like yeah, no 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 see no. I'll or, see like once every three months or whatever. I don't know how it works. I don't I don't have LA friends, quote unquote, where like maybe you'll see them and do cocktails and, and they but they won't come to your birthday party. I personally <laughs> don't do friends like that. You're either my friend or you're not. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't do like wide webs of acquaintances, but I guess that's how the LA thing is.
0: You know everyone. That's, that's why I, I wanted to probe you earlier on, on this stuff, that sounds with sexy. like the attitude on it. Well, it is a little bit. I can, I can <laughs> drop down an octave and get it real hot. Uh, but I, so what I'm, what I was hearing when you were saying that is, you pretty much saying I have this kind of quick filter or heuristic that's that's going to be like a really efficient way
2: to get me with the people who I'm compatible with. Uh, really, like, you're you, you're putting some computer science terms in there and some uh, AI I have a heuristic a,
0: right. Like a quick filter that like, you know, so I don't, I don't take it as like a brash Jersey thing so much as I'm going to be direct about this. And because you, you said it with the audience of the podcast as well, I'm going to be direct with my audience, whether they like it or not. And it's going to filter out some subs who probably shouldn't be subs. Uh, it's going to filter out potential friends who I wouldn't have wanted to be friends with anyway, uh, and that it gets you to these relationships that are just kind of what you are looking for in the first place.
2: Well, yeah, but isn't that what what you go back to when people say "be yourself"? I mean, like, why would you not want to be your like like Why would I want to fake myself in order to get a YouTube audience or podcast audience? And there are definitely YouTubers that do that. Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't live with myself because I feel shame. I guess that's a nice (laughs) way I can put it. And there's a lot of people that don't. They do. I mean, going back to whatever that angry gamer article was, where they asked people straight out. Like no, I don't really care about this stuff that much, but I know that an audience is going to watch it, yeah. so I, so they're going to pretend to be angry about it. I couldn't get on here and pretend to be angry about things. I mean, because I'm—I don't know, I man—I'm too old. Yeah, I mean, and the not, the, I other, mean, I, the
1: friend thing uh, when when we were talking about that, I, I also have always found it weird when people are friends because it's it benefits them. It's like, oh, I'm friends with so and so because I know they can advance my career, like or, sure. or whatever it is. Uh, that and then once they don't anymore, then oh, I don't have time for them.
2: Like oh, there's been that, three, th- three big so, YouTubers that did that to me. One, one who got in a little bit of hot water in May of this year. Uh, <laughs> quite, you might know who I'm referring to. Um, that that definitely did that. Where it was like, oh, let's say I'm fifty thousand subs ahead of you. You don't exist anymore to me, even though mm. I, you knew me when I had no subscribers at all. Um, you know, and that's happened. To three YouTubers. That I was friends with. like I mean, like, I have their f- phone numbers in my phone that, like, I, I knew them 10 years ago, 9 years ago, 8 years ago. That just... Yeah, you know, they'll say hi to you. Oh, yeah, hi, Pat. But it's almost like they're ashamed to know that at some point they didn't have as big of a whatever influence or career that you are. It, it, some people some people think that way. I right. feel sorry for them. I just do because then they're, you're never going to be fulfilled. No. There's always going to be someone else out there that... Either someone you know or don't know that that you're trying to achieve that that sort of level of fame, but at the end of the day, you're just a hollow soul. It's the best way I can put it. I've seen it happen. I've seen I've seen people that I collaborated with, you know, after the fact, or, or just like begrudgingly. I mean, begrudgingly saying hello to me. In person. Oh what does that look
1: like? What does a begrudging hello look like?
2: Oh, oh, hi, Pat. Like, you can tell, like, I have to shake this person's hand. Right? <laughs> and I know it's awkward for them. And I love awkwardness because that's reality. And so I'm like, oh, hey, what's going on, buddy? Uh-huh. Knowing that, you know, you, you wouldn't return a phone call for me unless I said, like, I'm going to make you $5,000 on something. Yeah. Or or I'm going to have you inv- invited to a convention that I help put on. Like, yeah. That's happening. Like, yes. And it's, we, but we are, <laughs> Here, this this is, this is, I think what people don't understand is that this is not a YouTube thing. This is any industry where yep. uh, egos get involved with, with any creative process, music, TV, movies, I get even probably theater and, or art world There's always people that think that I have to get ahead and who cares about the people below me? I'm going to step on them and get above. And that's, why would you? Why would YouTube be any different? And it's shocking to me that, that the the, the audience out there think it might be different just because it's a different platform that's more more down to earth. No, the the personalities don't change regardless of the media platform. They, we are all the same. If I was in, in, in movies and knew these same people in movies, they would act the same exact way. As soon as I'm bigger than Pat, you know, they, they did the sequel to Home Alone. They're bigger than me, or what have you? And, then, and Pat, you're just an extra. Fuck off. Here's a kick.
0: <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, we talked about we talked about networking. And this this same topic in, in very similar, uh, not exactly the same, but very similar. Where it's it's like, what do you do with the people who were you were useful to them in a networking kind of professional scenario, and then eventually there's some distance, whether uh, it's from them getting big or whatever, uh, or do you put up with the jerky, unbearable people for some kind of professional gain, you know? And and it's I, that's a uh, personal
2: question i mean that's up yeah. to you it's up to your code of ethics your morals i mean these yeah. these youtubers that that pass me by and then you know wouldn't piss on me if i was on fire which which i'm trying to think if i was on fire maybe you would piss on someone because then that adds like you're not going to put out the fire with your piss it'll just add more insult to it i don't know that's a weird <laughs> expression i don't I know I, I just thought about that but um <laughs> Some people would say, Oh yeah, it's cool. I'll be I'll I'll collab with you and, and some people like me, I'd be like, You know what? Fuck off <laughs> I don't need you. But I guess it also depends on where you are and whether or not you are closer to having what I like to deem or other people fuck you money. Where it's like right. I'm almost at the point where I pretty much am where, you know, I don't have to, you know, shuck and jive for people in order to to get ahead and and, you know, dance like a puppet for, for you know, collaborators in there. And I, I think people realize that. And I, again, I sort of hang my hat on the fact that, that, you know, like, uh, like people, I think respect me somewhat with that, knowing that like, I can't do anything to help them necessarily. And I look out for my friends. I've looked out for all my friends and I do that. It's one of, that's what makes you a friend, but it's not like people realize, okay, if I talk to Pat or say, associate with Pat, my YouTube, you know, career is going to blow up. It probably won't. If anything could possibly hurt you. If you're caught in one of my <laughs> hot takes that doesn't really matter, you know.
1: So let's let's get into the book because we're 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 kind of running out of time. We didn't even talk about uh, it yet. I want to know We could uh, go
2: long. I, I have not today yet, but you know. No, it's
1: so, I... it's so funny. It's so funny when when I was talking to Matt about having you on the show, I was like, I am we do have we have to do no Prep for this because, I know Pat and he knows me, and we can talk all day about any number of (laughs) YouTube-related topics. Kevin, Uh, why don't
2: we talk more than like once a year? What what is wrong with us? Would you consider us? Would you not to be as awkward? Would you consider us friends or just like really close colleagues that sort of commiserate every once in a while? And that's not necessarily a bad thing.
1: I would say uh, definitely friends. And I would also say, as depressing as this may sound, I don't really talk to hardly any of my friends more than like
2: once a year. Oh like God, I, Kevin, I really don't. Kevin, working
1: yeah. constantly on Kevin, stuff.
2: Can I, 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 I just hug you and just say we got to take a break, buddy? We got to we got to find a better platform than YouTube. We got to just start creating content for like Prime, Amazon. To be honest. We-
0: it Something. really is true though, that, that I have people ask me oh. like how Kevin is doing and what he's doing. Cause like best friends from childhood, your best friends from childhood will ask me for an update. And I'm like, yeah, he's, he's not a talker like that.
2: <laughs> now, Kevin, do you feel you have to, I didn't ask what your, I should, I should ask what your daily routine is. Um, but do you feel you have to work this hard? Is it, is it purely monetary? Is it just a career driven or you feel like you'll be left behind if you don't or is it a combination of it i i would say and and in
1: full disclosure 100 percent honest it's monetary like i want okay. to be able to have um enough money to not have to grind for the rest of my life um i don't want to work it nearly as hard as i do at this moment for the next 40 years so <laughs> <laughs> wow okay so I'm really, I really, really well, work this hard. Welcome
2: to Podcast Beyond, and it is beyond. It's 2058.
1: <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I would love to be able to just do creatively whatever comes to mind. I'd love to wake up each day and just work on writing a book or whatever it is. And I can't do that right now.
2: So my argument would be then, okay, how do I phrase this without being cold hearted? If oh, you know that <laughs> what you want to do and what you really want to gain is not through what you're currently doing, what's stopping you from making that sort of leap? Is it just like, OK, I got to make sure my family's secure, which, which is a totally fine, acceptable answer. But I, I think what I'm trying to get at is for us, YouTube is not the end goal. It, it's, it's a launch platform to other better platforms and projects. And I think that's what uh, you are probably you figured it out already. It's just it's just making that bridge to it. Is I guess what you you're still working on
1: yeah and 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 also quite honestly uh vsauce two is doing really really well right now. I'm really happy with the videos that I'm making on there. it wasn't doing well a couple of years ago, and you know Matt has been integral in helping me revamp that into making it uh changing the format and making videos again that you know a million people will watch so I f- and 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 On top of that, I do get a great deal of satisfaction from the people who watch these videos because I think that I am explaining things for the first time or at least explaining them in an entertaining way in which people will enjoy learning about some of this stuff, some of these paradoxes, some of these math games. So it is fulfilling
2: for sure in that regard. Wouldn't that be a better series somewhere else? I mean, in all honesty, versus YouTube, like, don't you want millions and millions of people to to see it, like ten million people, like, and have them lined up to come out? Obviously, that'd be that'd be great, right? You get the funding, you do like 13, 30 minute episodes of Vsauce, like, yeah, but dude, low. it's it's yeah.
1: hard. Like, let me tell you, I've had these conversations, and the people who make those decisions are scared of math. They think yeah. that nobody wants to to learn math, and they think it's boring. And square think, one,
2: come on, square one. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. They're not, they're not writing checks for math shows, dude. Like it's not happening. So
0: the ideas they have too. And I, I had a bunch, I had like six or seven of these conversations a couple weeks ago. Cause I was, you know, doing this kind of little tour with the mindset of, of exploring those options. And, um, even when, when people are amenable to a math type thing, their mind is not, actually about the math. You know, it's like, "Oh, uh, what if you did X Y and Z with it?" where X Y and Z are things that aren't about the actual topic. Uh okay. and so I there I think there's a special hmm. challenge in the content that Kevin does uh, in keeping it the content that Kevin does uh, rather than getting like twisted and morphed to to jam in a slot that some of those other companies and networks have.
2: I think it all comes down to who you're talking to to fund these projects, right? Because if you go to like a traditional YouTube channel, they'll be like, no. But what if you got like, you went to like some sort of educational association? What if you went to uh, be- get a grant through some university to produce it? I'm just, I'm just spitballing here. Yeah, but those are there, there's, there's, you know, or, or public funding, you know, PBS funds the show, you know, whatever, but that could happen. So <laughs> YouTube makes us complacent, it makes content creators complacent. Because there's a there's an outlet to put your content on. You can upload anything you want, but that might necessarily be the best place for it, unfortunately. That may not give you the return on your time and money investment, but you know people will see it, but it may not be the proper way to get it out there. And I think a lot of us are tethered to that still. And The more, and it's a difficult leap to get off because there's a lot at risk. You're also, you're becoming almost like, you know, trying to fund like an independent movie at that point. But I think that's where solutions are probably, uh, that's where I think more of us are going to gravitate towards as we get older and realize that, yes, this isn't working anymore on this platform. You can still do maybe a similar type of content, but it's just not going to be there. Uh, Like I can see your content doing well in a serialized format, you put it on Amazon Prime, and people watch it, maybe people discover it, maybe they show their kids, and at least it's another avenue of, of where people can enjoy it, and you'll make some re- revenue there as well. You know, yeah, something there, like
1: that. There's still, there's also just a, a large stigma against YouTubers from the traditional media side, and, and, and Hulu, and Amazon Prime, and Netflix, make no mistake, are still traditional media. Even though it's streaming, and it's new media, Everyone that's making those decisions for those new media sites come from traditional media. It's, sure. It's just a new delivery mechanism, but it's the same gatekeepers, and they look down upon
2: YouTubers, like well, pretty don't, hardcore. I, I guess don't don't sell them a YouTube show then. I mean, try to sell them. I mean, I'm, I'm being maybe naive when it comes to the process, but sell them something that, that's not traditionally a YouTube thing, and maybe that's what will be more, you know- but the thing uh, is, is they
1: want, they want like a traditional media name attached to the thing. So like if I walked into a room, okay, with Adam Savage from Mythbusters, okay, if okay. I walk into a room with Adam Savage and I say, hey, or, and we do a thing together where Adam says, hey, you know, I'm Adam Savage. I had the most popular science cable television show of all time. Here's my new protege, Kevin Lieber, who has the most popular math show on YouTube. It gets millions of views. We got, we, we're we going to do a show together. That's a meeting that they'll take. and that's, that's a, a project that will likely get greenlit because you have a traditional media known quantity. And then you have this like fresh face who like the kids like but if i'm just walking in alone as this wacky youtuber who like kids like there's just n- not a lot of urgency and excitement to 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 you know pass across the checkbook and open up the checkbook for a youtuber it just hasn't well, gone well it hasn't what? gone well think think of like okay. all of the youtubers have tried to have tv shows whether it's grace helbig or Epic Mealtime, or even Miranda.
2: That got yeah, canceled two after seasons. two seasons. Because like, it's, different, it's different audience watching TV. I mean, that's... It just hasn't worked uh, yet. Well, then I'll tell you the opposite. You have to go the opposite route. Then you have to get funding. You have to get investment. You got to produce it. Then you have to get distribution and sell it to after the fact. I mean, that's, that's the only other option, right? You Make your show. Get the funding. Go out and have someone buy it after the fact. I mean, that's... That's yeah, I mean that's solution. possible.
1: Yeah, that's just a big It's a bigger investment risk.
2: in yeah, in time and money, honestly. and in, in the end though, it's the same result. You make what you want to make, but then yeah, you'll keep more of the profits at least. <laughs> but it's but yeah, you got to put the money on the credit cards or get the investors. Like if you said if you got like say you needed a 50 grand to make uh I don't know tw- 12 13 episodes of of mind blow or what have you. If you did that, then you could you could shop it to a uh a Hulu, or get an agent to try to get it picked up by, you know, maybe someplace in Europe, some cable network would show it, and you make mm-hmm. your money back that way. I mean, that's and obviously it's a lot scarier, but
0: it's know, an option.
2: It's, it's an, an option. option. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my, my 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 documentary, uh, we just signed a contract for an agency to shop it around. The documentary, I invested money in, I invested time. Obviously, I'm hoping to recoup that. But if they saw, sell it to a network or sell it overseas, then we'll make the money back on it. Besides, obviously, showing it on Amazon, charging for it on Amazon, selling Blu-rays, obviously. So maybe it's a mm-hmm. traditional Kickstarter slash investor route, right? I'm not trying to yeah. tell you what to do, Kevin. I'm just spitballing and trying to help you. Yeah. I love you. I love you, I, Kevin. I, even though I never talked to you.
1: I understand. <laughs> it's just it sounds easier. A lot of this stuff sounds easier on paper than it is. You need practice. some cash.
2: <laughs> what, do I, what do I got on me? What do I got on me right now? <laughs> well, let's, let's get started. I got Dude. three three fifty on me, not four fifty in cash.
1: All right. I'll probably need more than that. Pat, tell me about your book, man. What, Which one? What, uh, well, either of them. I mean, you know, the new one is really a sequel.
0: It, uh, it, it,
1: it, I, I imagine it was the same process. What is that process like creating oh my, these
0: books? Oh, God. Oh, God. You know, what? That's, it's, that's something our patrons wanted to know, too, was, uh, yeah, they, they wanted you to just say what it was like to write these things.
2: It's crazy. Let's 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 just be back up. It's not well. The first book I wrote sixty percent of the second book I wrote about fifteen percent. I hired more writers to help me because the first book almost drove drove me crazy, and did not I did not have a social life for the last year and a half to, to complete it. Just about my girlfriend hated me, um, because I had to stay home, and that's one of the reasons I stopped going to the flea market is because I had to write and finish it. Um, it. You can say I'm a little bit of a madman because I. I get a goal in mind and I think about how do I complete this and get to this finish line even though it'll, it might have a toll on me. I don't think about the toll it takes to do it. Um, so it's all nice and dandy to say I want to create basically Leonard Maltin's film guide but a lot more words per review for any video game system. Uh, it's tough though to project manage it to get it to a point that's respectable and to the level of quality that I hold myself to at least in my projects. Uh at least nowadays, those early NES punk videos with no lighting maybe not. But you have to be sort of um a perfectionist but also a good project manager and be able to work with other people. And that and those skill sets don't usually align. Um I think with a lot of people, but for me, I guess I am I'm, I'm good at project managing so I could wrangle together other writers and have sort of a unified vision and try to hold them to that and scheduling of writing and pay them for their writing. Cause that's what an ethical uh, editor of a book or publisher or whatever producer of a book should do is pay their contributors. Um, and so I guess the NES book was sort of a hard lesson because I realized I couldn't do it all on my own. And it nearly killed me. Uh, Ian dropped off the project and, uh, and he couldn't continue with it at a certain point. I continued on. I showed, I, I went on, I hired the writers and I got it out there. And then the response was overwhelming because I had no idea if it was gonna sell. I completed most of the book before the Kickstarter in 2016. Uh no, the Kickstarter the Kickstarter was in yeah, was in like March of 2016 and it came out in September of that year. And I had no idea if it was gonna sell because at that point in time there really wasn't a book like that. That actually wrote and detailed and reviewed every single game in the library to that extent, um, and in that format. And so, I guess I learned there was an audience for the book. And so, about six months later, I said, "I want to do the sequel book, but I wanted I want to hire an editor up front. I want a stronger team. I want to take a step back because this is going to kill me if I do this again. I can't write 450 reviews again. Maybe I can write like I think I said originally 130. Then I went back to like 80, and even that was overwhelming for me to keep track of all that." Um, While well, doing a pot two podcasts and what have you, everything else. So I I, I guess um it's weird because I kn- I know it's a major accomplishment in people's eyes, it doesn't really affect me as much as it should now that it's out. I mean, it literally went on Amazon for sale the the, the morning that we we're recording this, mm-hmm. and for me it's just like okay, that's done. What's next? Which I think is both good and bad because I sort of don't get complacent with what I've done, but I should relax and enjoy w- what what the accomplishment was and, and that my team helped accomplish. So I don't know if this gets you the answer to your question at all. I'm kind of rambling right now, which I tend to do on a podcast. I guess it can work. But um I I am proud of it though, because I do honestly believe it's the best book of its kind on the market because there are competing books. Mine has the best writing. Mine has has the best information. Mine, you know, has has the best format and layout or else I wouldn't do the book if I didn't believe that.
1: So how did you uh, find the writers and how did you get like the graphics, like the screenshots for everything? What What is that process like?
2: For the superintendent book, uh, 99.9% of the screenshots were created by the writing team and, and myself and the editors uh, in emulators because we don't care. It's like, oh, why capture on a CRT? It's blurry. It's not going to come out well yeah. in the print format. It doesn't matter. No one really sense. cares if the col- if the colors are 1% off. Um, there was a team of seven or eight writers for the NES book, even though most only averaged about ten reviews each. Besides Ian, who did one hundred and fifty, and I did four fifty. Um, so for the second book, I I got back like the four or five best writers from there, and then I hired four more, four or five more writers. So there was a team of ten writers for the for this uh, superintendent book, and though they just tried out. I put out a call I said I prefer professional experience if not submit your writing and me and my editor Ashton, went through the writings and we picked out the best writers uh to to do it and then that's how that's how it was accomplished and then the graphics were created by my buddy uh Yoshi who's now back from Singapore who literally worked on the Death Star for episode 9 and he did the gra- he did the some of the cover art and he created CG carts of every Super Nintendo game him and a couple wow. of assistants that's yeah. crazy so so I mean, I shouldn't say that every Cartridge in that book is not a picture, but most people would not be able to tell that. Most people can't tell uh, that, you know, on, on the cover here, that that's a, not a uh, a real Super Nintendo. You wouldn't be able to tell. So... No, it looks amazing. But it comes down to like two and a half years of writing, project managing, uh, error checking, sending things back to writers, making sure writers are on schedule, uh, you know, dealing with, not complaints, but issues with certain uh, writings that aren't up to speed. Because when you have 10 different people writing... You still have a sort of unified sort of uh, vision of what a a standard review should be. And yes, you you allow writers to have their flavor of writing, but they they shouldn't be that radically different from each other. Mm -hmm. It's not as dry as Letter Malton's film guide. There is room for flourishing with with the reflection section and being more funny and more anecdotal and uh, having a little bit more of a historical uh, 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 flavor to it. But you still have to have all the writers on point. Um and it's a lot of writing to keep track of.
1: And then when you come it comes to selling it, I know that with the first book you did a lot of conventions. How in the world are you traveling around the country with these heavy friggin' books? <laughs> I have I have what one is one that of those, like
2: one of those Hank <laughs> Hank Pym little uh, devices that shrink them? No. Oh, no, they, they they get shipped out from warehouses and I sort of do like this pat math where I figure out okay, I'm going to a convention that's in a certain area and has this many people that went there last year, I should be able to sell this many amount of books and it usually works out. So I've only sold it at two conventions so far. Next year, I'll probably do my last heavy convention run of my career, which I mean like doing eight to 10 in a year because I've been doing that for like eight, nine years and it's worn me down. Um, so yeah, most of the time, I end up having a couple of books left and so I, you know, or like maybe eight books and so I wholesale them to a couple of shops locally that know me or they can sign them and then pay me when they sell. A couple places still owe me money. You gotta pay Pat at some point. Uh, I'll send I'll send Frank after you with a PVC pipe. Anyway, um, but um most of the time it works out. Or convention, I, I I know the I know the people that run these conventions now, some of these conventions I've gone to four or five times, so they'll hold my books for me. They'll hold 10 mm-hmm. or 20 books for me for the next year. They won't steal them, probably. It's not worth that much pain to cross me, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but no, it's it's it is tiresome though, just because I gotta get there, I gotta unload them, I gotta sign them all and get them set up. But this is the business I chose. As uh, Rothman from uh, Godfather 2 so eloquently spoke. Yeah.
1: Well, I would love to talk all day, but, you know, uh, I don't think that we can. I think we all have, uh, you know, books to sign and videos to edit. (laughs) Hey, give me,
2: uh, me, we only had one Patreon question, right? There's not another one you want to do.
0: We're going to do more. We're going to go through our
1: Patreon wormhole right now. It's going to it's uh, going to feel
0: weird. It's going to feel a little strange at first, but when you land, it, it's it's going to be worth it
2: and you'll settle. Yeah. It's exactly like when when, when tingly. you're when you're in a car on a road and you, you go down like a steep hill, you get that like gut yeah. feeling like whoa. Yeah. <laughs> little it's, it's exactly like, little like scary, that. It's scary but kind of pleasant too. Yeah. yeah.
1: So get ready for that. We'll, we'll do that right now. And we'll hit our patrons questions for Pat. The wormhole exists at patreon.com slash the create unknown. Please join us over there. If you can't make it. Well, that's okay, too. Thank you so much for spending your time with us. Leave comments, do all of the things that that you want to do. And uh, until next time, we'll see you space cowboys. Thanks, Pat. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Create Unknown. There's more episode waiting for you. But to keep listening, sign up at Patreon.com/slash/TheCreateUnknown. You could hear the rest of our conversation, as well as unlock the ad-free feed, get exclusive content, join the Idea Baby Gang, and more. Thanks for listening to the Create Unknown. If you liked what you heard, and I certainly hope that you did, please subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast. And leave us a review on Podchaser and Apple Podcasts. Those reviews really go a long way. While you're at it, you can also watch the video version of this show on youtube.com thecreateunknown. Check out our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. You can get the full episode. You can join the Idea Baby Gang, become one of the known, access creator services. There's a lot going on on our Patreon. It's all part of phase three of TCU. So go to patreon.com slash thecreateunknown. Follow us on social media. We tweet at createunknown. We're on Facebook and Instagram at thecreateunknown. You can follow me, Matt, and the show on Podchaser for podcast updates. You can also find a link to our Discord in the show notes. We love our Discord because we get to talk to you and you get to talk to us. So join our Discord. Our website is thecreateunknown.com. The Create Unknown is an unknown media production. We've been your hosts, Kevin Lieber and Matt Tabor. Check out what we do on YouTube at Vsauce2 and on Twitter at Kev Lieb and Tabor TCU. Links in the show notes. This episode was edited by Zalgalu. Our theme songs by the incredible Mega Drive. Special thanks to Paula Lieber, Mo Lewitt, and Dorothy Kiney. Until next time, see ya space cowboys.